very good evening to you. Welcome along to another Big Kickoff Rugby podcast. Nathan Johns joins me, John Kingston and Tony Diprose as well. We're going to be discussing the Gallagher Premiership. We're going to be discussing Women's Six Nations as well. Massive weekend of European rugby coming up as well. And uh, Eddie Jones retaining full support from the RFU. That and more to come in the next half an hour or so. Uh, let's start then with the Gallagher Premiership. Um, it's really getting to the business end of the season now. We've only got a few more matches left now. As it stands at the moment, Bristol uh, top on 66, Exeter 58, Sal 55, Harlequins 54. Then you go back to fifth place with Northampton 50, London Irish 42, Bath 41. Uh, John, how do you see the top four panning out? Uh, bearing in mind, we've only got a few more games to go. Do you feel that top four are now virtually saying, yes, this is going to be us for the playoffs or could possibly a Northampton overtake them? Four from five, I think. Well, it's actually three from four because Bristol are, uh, are going to make it. I think they wouldn't say it, but they are. And like I said at the start of the um, the competition with Saracen's absence, I thought it was a really perfect opportunity for a side to make the top four and actually referenced Quinn's trying not to be biased that actually thought it was, you know, a great opportunity for them to, to make it. And as transpires with the form they've had the last couple of months, you know, they are one of them, but the fixtures have varied really. Some have got three at home, two away, some two at home, three away. Some you, you sort of look at it and think, are there any that are slightly easier? I think it's Bath will be kicking themselves because I think if they got that win yesterday at Wasps, whenever it was Sunday, that then I think you could have honestly said they're in there. But I think genuinely, I don't know what the other guys think, but I genuinely, I think it's three from four with Bristol having already got there for me. Do you think London Irish have blown it, John? Yeah, I do, honestly, to be honest. I'm not sure they've blown it. I think they've done extremely well to, you know, mm. to get mm. to where they've got. But the game on uh, Saturday was obviously you know, for their from their perspective, was pivotal because it would have it's the old cheesy seven eight pointer, isn't it? Because it would have brought them that much closer to Harlequins, and clearly it went to the death. I think they've done unbelievably well. Irish, they've been so competitive, particular well in all games, but really particularly in their new home, and uh, they've surprised an awful lot of people, which is great to see with the level of competition. You know, with sides that have recently been down below, which was true of Newcastle as well, until obviously they've hit the rocks a little bit recently. But the start was remarkable, really, wasn't it? Mm. I'll come back to you, John. Um, let's move on to Tony then. Um, Harlequins, uh, Tony, they, they've had this superb run since uh, well, the last few months virtually. I mean, I think they've only lost two games and both of them were only by probably the narrowest of margins in particular. They are playing probably some of the best rugby, it has to be said, in the Gallagher Premiership at the moment. Obviously, everyone's really firing at the moment. Do you go along with John as well? Keeping Quinns in that mix for that top four? Yeah, look, I think so. They, they they seem to be playing with a handbrake off at the moment. And, you know, I think they're enjoying their rugby. I, I think Danny Kerr is always a very good barometer of Harlequin's rugby. And uh, I see him playing with a smile on his face for the 300th time at the weekend. Mm -hmm. um, you know, <clears throat> a, an amazing achievement. But he shows, he, he, he's, he's, the, he's the person who you know when Queens are playing and when they're playing well. His form over the last couple of months has been as good as any scrum halves I'm watching. Marcus Smith is loving that partnership as, as, as he would and he's growing day by day 
into the player that I think we all hoped he would be, you know, having seen him come through from a young age. Um, they're playing very well at the moment. They're not perfect. You know, you know I think London Irish probably showed that at the, at the weekend. And the reality was London Irish probably should have finished off the game. Uh, in terms of the top five, I mean, look, for me, the top two are, are there or thereabouts. I think they're pretty done. I'd be very surprised if those two don't end up with a home semi-final. Um, and then Sale, Quinns and Northampton, for me, scrapping that out. Um, as John said, there's not a huge amount in the fixtures. I think, you know, a couple of blows for Quinns at the weekend. Will, have, Will Evans' injury um, and Andre Estesen's, uh, you know, I haven't seen a hearing judgment on that one yet. But on the basis he got sent off earlier in the year, I can't imagine it's going to be... Um, it's not going to be a tickle on the um, on the hand. So they're two key pieces of Quinn's jigsaw. Right? You know, let's be honest. Esther Hazen's sitting next to um, sitting next to Marcus. You know, clearly clearly helps hugely. Um, so I, I think there's some questions there, but the way that Quinn's have played over the last couple of months, they've reacted well to all the questions that have been posed at them. So you know, it might be James Lang next man up, or or, or someone else to step in. Um, it's exciting. I mean, you know, without Saracens there having been so dominant over a period of time for a number of reasons, um, it, it is an exciting premiership. You mentioned two key players in that particular game, John, against Irish. Uh, Andre, uh, who's been outstanding, it has to be said, for Harlequins all season, I must admit. But you're right, he got sent off against Gloucester. And the same sort of circumstances virtually last weekend as well. I mean, I suppose that's part of his game, to be fair to him, true. But at the end of the day, that is a massive blow. But even more of a massive blow, of course, is the unfortunate loss of Will Evans, who, again, has been absolutely outstanding for Quinns this season. Uh, I mean, he's, you know, they sort of nickname him the turnover king because, I mean, week in, week out, you look at the turnovers and who's there? It's Will Evans. So, those two, you know, losing those players, I mean, OK, Andre won't, you know, they're not going to lose him, well, hopefully not for the rest of the season. Obviously, as you say, we, we don't know in reference to how the disciplinary committee are going to judge this. But to lose a guy like Will Evans, I mean, that really is going to be a massive and huge blow to them, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I think you know, Will has been, you know, one of the form players in the Premiership. And, you know, when you've got someone who turns the ball over as much as he does, what that's also done is added to Quinn's attack because, you know, they're playing off a of turnover ball, which, to be fair, earlier in the season, they weren't. They get it, they slow it down and then they kick it. That, that has clearly been a change in policy in terms of what they're doing. And, and they're scoring tries, you know, they the, you know, they're basically playing. It's not worrying about what phases are going through. They're just playing and seeing what they're doing. And, you know, that plays to the strengths of Kerr and Smith in particular. Um, and they then put some good people in, in into space. They've, you know, they've got some pace. They've got some finishers. And, you know, Mike Brown looks as like he's 23, not 33 or however old he is, which is which is nice to see as well. Um, and, and, you know, but if you lose that bit, you know, where, where does Will Evans really... You know, by it. Well, he gets those crucial turnovers when you're under pressure in your 22 and just takes that pressure valve, right? We can get out of here. And he also gets those ones that, you know, when another team's playing around on halfway, you turn it over and bang, and then Kara is gone and then Smith's gone. They, they're going to miss those. And I'm not sure they've got a like for like replacement. Some good young kids coming through. Jack Kenningham's a, a really talented young boy. Um, but, you know, replacing what Will has done this season will be, will be challenging. Yeah, very much so. But obviously, they're going to have to get around that. Uh, but I, I guess the one thing that's going to work in their favour, Tony, 
is the terrific team spirit. I mean, you know, wins breed, uh, wins breed confidence, don't they? Confidence breeds success, etc. And at the moment, that, that just seems to be falling in place for them, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I think, you know, you always want to be going on a nice winning run when you're getting towards the back end of the season because, you know, that's when the trophies get handed out. You don't want to be sort of, you know, back pedalling through the into the playoffs. You want to be in the playoffs with a nice run of form, enjoying playing. Them. You know, they look as though they're enjoying playing and, and, and that's a big part of them being at their best. Um, it would be interesting to see. I, I think at the moment they're very confident that they could play anyone and give anyone a decent run. It doesn't mean they'll beat them, but they'll give anyone a decent run. And uh, I think, you know, they would be a, a wild card within that playoffs. They've got to get there yet. Um, there's you know, still a little bit more rugby to be played, but, um, but they're, they're certainly competitive at the highest level. Mm. Thanks, Tony. I'll come back to you shortly. Um, Nathan, I'm going to bring you in now, just quickly going on to the other matches at the weekend. Uh, obviously, it was a massive game on Friday, wasn't it, with Bristol and Exeter. Um, a lot of people thought then that Bristol could win that game, but they didn't. Exeter turned up with their true colours, didn't they? With a fine performance there as well. Um, I'm going to quickly mention the other games as well, and then you can sort of jump in and let me know your thoughts on them. Gloucester beating Newcastle 35-24. Uh, Northampton winning a real close game at um, uh, Leicester 23-18. Uh, and Worcester losing out to Sal by 35-32. What's your thoughts on those games? Yeah, I mean, well, I'll start. I'll start with the Saints game because that's, that's the one I was watching. Considering I, I do, I do work for them a little bit. Um, I'm looking at their schedule here, and well, first of all, that was obviously a massive East Midlands derby win against Leicester. They needed that. I think you know they're what they're five points off Quinns. I think bonus points are something that might come back to haunt them. I think scoring three tries in that win, granted, they had to they had to dig it out and they spent a lot of time defending in the last few minutes. But I think in hindsight, they could have done with the bonus point there. They, they, they've been involved in quite a few of those games, quite a few of their wins this year. They've had about three tries going in with into the hour mark and they haven't quite managed to get that fourth try. That might be something that comes back to haunt them because obviously even if Quinn's, Quinn's slip up, it's a, it's a five-point gap, I think. I might be wrong there at the moment. Um, but obviously it's a massive win and they're just in trying to get to every game. They lost Nick Ezekwe, um against Irish. He, he's a peck issue. He's gone for the year. He's played his last game as a Saint. That's a big blow, especially with even though they've got Courtney Laws coming back um, I think they would really would have been looking forward to having Laws, Ribbons and Ezekwe in the same pack. That's not going to happen now. Um, I think looking at their schedule, they've still got to play Exeter. They finish with Exeter at home and then Bath away. I think they're a team that can't afford to slip up. So I think they might be struggling there, particularly with the Exeter game. Um, I really enjoyed the Exeter game. Um, it was obviously the, 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 headline, the headline clash. I think they'll see that as having laid down a marker for what could well be a, a future final matchup. Um, and I think you could kind of see, you know, it's a bit of a cliche, but that kind of knockout rugby nows. I mean, Exeter have got that, haven't they? So I think that said a lot um, going forward. So, um, but yeah, no, it's going to be, it's going to be really exciting going forward for sure. It is. Um, I'll come back to you shortly, uh, Nathan. Uh, John, we, we, we've all been waxing lyrical on Danny Kerr at the moment. And, uh, and I know Tony said about Mike Brown in particular. Marcus Smith, I mean, you know, <laughs> I've said it time and time again on this podcast, on the bigkickoff.com and various other radio shows. Um, this young kid, to me, has got a, a massive rugby brain, which is far bigger than what his age is more than anything. I mean, he just does things that, you know, people just wouldn't normally do at that young age in particular. Uh, he's got to be one of the players of the season by far and away. Yes, true. Do you think there's a, a strong 
case now for him possibly going on a, a, a Lions tour coming up? Ooh, Lions. Um, <laughs> I think, are, I they think... go, are they going anywhere yet? Well, <laughs> anyone's, anyone's decided. Are they, is anyone, are they going on a trip? Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, well, let's take it one at a time. I think he's playing well enough to be in the England squad. Um, I've spent quite a lot of time with him over the last year. It was inevitable he was going to have a a difficult time at some point because he was propelled forward. I mean, you know, Dips oversaw a lot of that with the academy at mm. Quinns and was obviously aware of it long before, frankly, I, I was in terms of, you know, the, the the level of ability of the player and his ability to read the game is the best part of his game. It's his, it's his brain that I think is the best and he's blooming talented. So that tells you how good he is in terms of reading the game. But, it, you know, you get doubt coming in when you don't quite achieve because suddenly you're perceived as being in the England squad and, well, why are you not now in the England squad being asked? And I was partly to blame for that because we, we were left with no other alternative with the injuries that we had at the time and got the, the guy played in the first team. And he played far too much that first year. You know, and we knew that was the case, but frankly, other players were injured. But it set him into a situation where it was inevitable there was going to be a uh, a, a, a situation where he was perhaps doubting, you know, because the speed at which he'd gone forward, he's got his head around that. He reached a pivotal point around Christmas time, got his head around that. For me, he's playing the best rugby in the Premiership with, by a mile. Um, it helps the fact that the player actually believes in the system that he's playing in. That makes such a difference. Um, yes, he should be in the England squad, in my opinion, but I guess we'll get on to England in due course, and that might depend on how they're playing rugby, because if he's not going to play the way that would suit him, what's the point? I think the Lions, I'm not sure I would be even thinking that way, and if I hope he's not listening because he'd get cross, but I, I, <laughs> I, I, just, yeah, I just think he's gone down that line once before, and I think at the moment the right thing for him is to look to finish the season really well and you know, he ought to be touring with England this summer and taking things from there because, in my opinion, he's playing the best rugby in England at 10. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, fair point. Thank you. What about Danny Kerr then? I mean, you know, there's been so many people saying, look, Danny Kerr, forget about his age, another guy who's playing outstanding rugby. Surely he should be a, a, a nailed on. Yeah, I, 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 wouldn't dis- I wouldn't dispute that at all. Um, yeah, I don't, I'm not interested in what age they are. I don't think that matters. And I think at the end of the day, if you were watching the rugby that's going on and being played, the level of consistency of the player, uh, yeah, why not? I don't see any reason why he shouldn't have his hat thrown into the ring. Um, I think he's got as much reason to, uh, probably secretly thinking, I wonder if there's an opportunity here. But yeah, that would not surprise me one bit. And were I involved in such a discussion, he would be heavily uh, on, on the radar to have a conversation about, and I would be surprised if he isn't. I'd imagine that they're having a good think about it. One bit of bad news, John, uh, talking about the Lions. Uh, Joe Launchbury, it looks like he's certainly out of contention. He picked up a nasty injury, didn't he, over the weekend as well? And uh, that's, that's a blow for England, and to be fair, probably a Lions tour as well. Certainly a blow. I've always liked Joe, always thought he was an excellent player. We seem to have been blessed with second rows, don't we, um, over the course of the last several years. But for me, I just, I love the way he plays. I love his style of rugby. I think he, had, he just brings a certain comfort to the team around him. And I'd always want to find a place for him, if at all possible. So, yeah, it's obviously a loss, um, you know, it's just the way it is, though, isn't it? Injuries occur. And, you know, going back to, to Quinns, they've been lucky with injuries, actually. Call it lucky, but they've been settled. 
Mm. And it's interesting, you, you know, if you take any of those players out at the moment and get an injury when they're used to playing all the time, it's it's like a smooth running machine, isn't it? And then suddenly it becomes a problem and it'll be just the same for other sides. They're going to lose their players just the same. Mm. Um, Nathan, come on to you quickly. Um, news this week that the Premiership players are actually going to be released for the Lions fixture coming up in Japan as well. I mean, there was doubt, wasn't there, for a little while about the fact, will they be released? Will they not be released? Are clubs going to get involved? But now, if apparently, that's going to happen. Good news? Yeah, I think so. I think certainly from the players' point of view. Um, I mean, our, you know, I know the coach's perspective, you know, whether and it's going to depend on, on who's involved, etc. But at the end of the day, is, is a coach going to want to stand in, front, in the way of a player um, in that opportunity? So, you know, I, I doubt there'd be very many who would. So, uh, you know, I, I, I definitely welcome the news. And um, what was welcoming over the weekend, Nathan, was the Women's Six Nations uh, um, final where England beat France. It was a narrow game, to be fair. They were 7-0 up at one stage, but they got the better of France as well. And I think that's four years running now that the women have won this Six Nations. I mean, this is a good side, isn't it? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> There's definitely, I mean, from my biased Irish perspective, there's a reason why they're a lot better than everyone else. And that's obviously the elephant in the room. But just in terms of the game on the weekend, I mean, they dealt with a very powerful French pack very well. I mean, um, a French pack that absolutely obliterated their Irish counterparts counterparts the weekend before. Um, so, yeah, no, England are definitely the, the class act of, of, of the European game at the minute. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people were calling this coming into the tournament and, and rightfully so. Um, they, they were very impressive and... I think, you know, it was good to see a really competitive game, actually, um, because I think, you know, some people might have been worried between the, the professional aspect versus the semi-professional aspect. So it was very encouraging to see um, France really um, compete very, very well. Um, and it was just a very, very entertaining clash and uh, hopefully shows the way forward in terms of how to compete with England for some of the, for some of the other countries. <laughs> Very true indeed. Very true. Thanks for that, uh, Nathan. I'm going to come back to you shortly because we're going to be moving on uh, for the European uh, uh, weekend that's coming up, semi-final action as well. And uh, we, we can't not talk Leinster, can we? So, anyhow, we'll come on to that shortly. Um, Tony, I'll just quickly have your thoughts on, on the Women's Six, well, I say Women's Six Nations final in particular, England overall setup as well. Nathan touches on a good point there being the professional side of it, do you generally feel that gives England a massive advantage over every other country, really? Oh, look, it, it certainly is a, an advantage. It, it's interesting to see how things will evolve and develop. I think, you know, I think the biggest positive that came out of this delayed Women's Six Nations is that it got a lot of screen time, it got a lot of press time, um, and I think people were allowed to evaluate it in its own entirety, as opposed to sitting there at the same time as when you know everything else is going on, the under twenties was going on, the men's team was going on. It just, yeah, it it, get, it gets lost, and you know there are some fantastic athletes. You know, I was lucky enough to be involved with a number of them at Queens who were playing across a number of the countries, and England, Wales, and, and Ireland, um, uh, and Scotland. Um, so uh, you know, I think I think the question and the challenge is that. You know, the competition needs that competitive element. Nathan touched on it. Um, you know, it was nice to see Ireland in a far more competitive vein, but even so, you know, they obviously had their challenges against France. Um, you know, Wales were, were, were pretty disappointing, and I think there's been a lot written and said about that. 
you know, big challenge for Warren Abrams, who, you know, ex of Harlequin's Manor. And, you know, I know Warren well, and, that, and that's a big job for him, um, trying to trying to make sure that that side go forward. Scotland have, have been working and moving forward. I think they are moving forward, Italy in a similar vein, but uh, there is a gap. You know, there's no there's no two ways around it at the moment. England and France are ahead of that game. You know, when they play New Zealand, that's very challenging. Canada at their best are, are very challenging, but only when they're at their very best. And, you know, you've got issues this year with um, Olympics running, you know, sevens players will go out. And I think, I think Ireland probably showed, you know, the benefit of some of those sevens players coming back into the Irish side. You know, who are the most, who are their best attacking players? Well, most of those were the professionals, so to speak, who were the sevens players who, you know, fed off each other in that. So it, it's not, you know, it's great that England are winning, but it's important that the, that the other countries continue to drive their their product and their, and, and their players forward because otherwise, you know, England are then going to go into, be lulled into a false sense of security, play against New Zealand and, and you're playing at a different level. And uh, I think that's the, that's the challenge. I, I thought it was a step up um, in terms of, you know, the production, the off-field and that side of stuff. I think it probably, you'd want it to go back to five games as opposed to, uh, you know, a couple of games. And I, I think, don't think that's quite right. Um, but it's finding finding the right place. And it, it may be that this April-May period is, um, is, a, is a better period. Brilliant. So, thanks for that, Tony. We're now going to move on to Europe. Um, Nathan, I'll bring you in... Um, Shortly, I'm going to quickly have a quick word with John. Um, John, two English clubs left. They've managed to get to the semi-finals, uh, which is good news, obviously. Challenge Cup, Bath against Montpellier as well. And uh, in the uh, other Challenge Cup, we've got Leicester against Ulster. How do you see those two games panning out? I'm delighted, Dave. Well, they've come out for the neutral the way they have because if the games had been in France and Ireland, mm. I'd have been telling you pretty categorically what would happen. Um, interesting games. Uh, the one that interests me most probably is the Leicester Ulster, uh, the Leicester Ulster game. I know uh, Dan McFarlane very well, as you know, and I've spoken to him a couple of times in the last several weeks. They really are desperately keen to win um, trophy. You know, it's a long time since they've won a trophy um, and they are super keen. They've actually had a very difficult run, although Quinn's don't get me started on Quinn's playing a second team. But mm. uh, for whatever reason, um, that was a great shame. But then they go to Northampton, which wasn't straightforward. And now they've got to go to Leicester. And he's under no illusions that Leicester are a bit under the radar. I thought that win at North for Northampton on Saturday was a heck of a win because... Under Steve, Leicester are getting back some of their basic um, things. Fortunately, the crowd are not there yet, but it's a pretty feral uh, attitude and, and very no-nonsense, and Ulster know it's coming. Um, I tend to lean still towards Ulster winning that game. Um, the other one, wouldn't like to say, it depends which Montpellier turn up, really. Uh, not trying to dodge it, but I wouldn't mind seeing their team sheet before mm. I've said too much about, about it, but... Yeah, you know, look, it's, I would suggest it's probably in Montpellier's hands to 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 blow with the ability and the players that they have, but they've not had a straightforward season either. That's not been easy for them in the uh, the domestic stuff. Um, two good games. Uh, personally, I'd like to see Ulster, and I'm not trying to be against English clubs, but I'd like to see Ulster go and win it, actually, for Dan. Mm -hmm. Good point there, actually. 
So Nathan, then you can get your Irish uh, flag out now and your Leinster flag out the ready. We'll start off then with uh, your game against uh, La Rochelle. It's on a Sunday, isn't it, as well? What's your thoughts ahead of kickoff for that one? Yeah, well, I mean, John, there was the news, I think it came out yesterday, that Johnny Sexton has been ruled out. Um, that's obviously quite a big blow, but Ross Byrne um, came on very early against Exeter and, stored the, and you know, um, steered the ship home there. And he's done that countless times on big European days for Leinster in the last couple of years. Um, maybe not necessarily at this stage of the tournament, but I think there's a lot of, within Irish rugby circles, there's a lot of faith in him. And conversely, La Rochelle, I don't know what their out-half situation is because they're two first choice. Ehio West and Jules Plisson, last I checked, were both injured and struggling to, to make it for, for um, this weekend. And they don't have the same depth at that position. Um, I think they, their third choice, I, I, don't, well, I couldn't even tell you who he is, to be honest. But so that has me quietly confident as a Leinster fan. Um, I saw the draw and it was probably the one I didn't want Um Ron O'Gara coaching team. The narrative is too easy there for a, for a monster boy to come and who's who's made waves as a coach and you know his BT Sport interviews. People are, you know, lapping him up and the way he sees the game, etc. So there's an easy narrative there of him coming in with his coaching style and you know having a couple of weeks to, you know, pick this Leinster side apart and to do a job on them. But that being said, I still think I've I've in the past I've. I've been too pessimistic and picked against this Leinster. I picked against this Leinster team. I did. I did think we'd struggle away in Sandy Park, for example. But um, I keep underestimating, particularly up front. Um, I think time and again in the recent years, we've shown an ability to deal with these large French packs. And I know a lot of people are talking about, oh, you know, Will Skelton. He was part of the Saracens outfit that Leinster have struggled with. But that being said, I don't think Leinster have ever. They've, they've never bar that one bar, bar the Vincent Cox scrum display last year. Leinster pack has never really been dismantled by Skelton and Saris, so we'll see how that goes. Um, the one area that would really concern me is the back row. La Rochelle's back row is fantastic with um, Aldrit, uh, Gordon and um, uh, Victor Vito, so that's going to be very interesting. But equally, the Leinster back row of Van der Fleer, Conan and Ruddock was world-class against Exeter, so that's going to be a huge part of the game. Um, and obviously, there's the obvious point to be made about travelling to France, but as we all know, that's that's may may or may not have the same effect as usual. So I'm quite quietly confident. I think um, I think the 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 La Rochelle out half situation is is a, a much bigger deal than the Leinster one is, to be honest. And just finally, then the the other one we haven't talked about yet in the Champions Cup uh, to lose against Bordeaux. Um, difficult to call, easy to call. Uh, well, I thought the Racing Bordeaux would be easy to call, and it turned out not to be. So I'm not I'm not going to fall down that trap again. Um, I think it's a brilliant. A narrative of the two out French out halves, Jalibert against Tamak. Um, I do think Toulouse are, I mean, Bordeaux seem to get into a bit of an arm wrestle with Racing and try and not let them play much. They might do something similar um, against Toulouse, but uh, I personally think um, that Toulouse backline in particular will have too much for them. We shall see. As I say, a massive weekend, not just for British clubs, French clubs, Irish clubs, etc. this weekend in the Champions Cup. We're going to finish on uh, Eddie Jones's note. Um, <laughs> this week, um, I think it was, or it might have been last week, sorry, correction. He retained the full support of the RFU after a Six Nations review. Remember how disappointing England were in that Six Nations. Tony, I'll start off with your thoughts about this. Um do you feel the RFU have made the correct decision? 
Well, I, I can confirm I wasn't on the review panel. I know it's been an anonymous review panel, so uh, that, wasn't, that wasn't part of my work over the last few weeks. Um, so uh, John is keeping very quiet there, so you never know. It might have been, uh, been what he's been up to. Um, uh, look, I mean, it, did it tell us anything, the review panel and the findings? Not really. There was a few things trotted out in terms of where things are. Look. England underperformed in the Six Nations from the levels that A, Eddie and the team had set previously. You know, they're World Cup finalists um, not that long ago, or it seems not that long ago. Um, they didn't perform to that level. Uh, I think it'd be fair to say that the fact that half of the team hadn't played much um, didn't help earlier on. Um, and, you know, I suppose one of the frustrations was the inconsistency in performance. Uh, is it for me to say whether Eddie Jones is the right man for the job? Not, not really. Um, you know, I think, you know, they, they have got people who are assessing where things are. Um, does it feel as though it might need a, some fresh impetus? I'm hoping that the Lions tour, hopefully, and John alluded to earlier, I mean, whether England go on tour, it might be that it's a home-based tour by the sound of some, some smoke signals that are coming out. I think they do need some fresh ideas and some fresh blood in there in terms of bodies. Um, you know, and I think Eddie's alluded to that and he sort of said that, you know, he's probably going to be changing another third, maybe a little bit more after this year before the next World Cup. And I think I think that is, that is needed. And, you know, we've talked about, you know, some of the contenders, the Marcus Smiths already. Um, it, it just, you know, the, the, the slight concern is, is that, you know, and, and I can use Marcus as an example, and John mentioned it earlier, there's no point bringing Marcus Smith in if they're going to play the way they've been playing. He'd be completely wasted. It'd be not dissimilar to how, what Quinns were asking Marcus Smith to do early this season. Um, it, it would just be a waste. So they, they've got to work out the way that they're going to play to beat the best teams in the world. They, they, they looked as though they had a clear idea of that going into the World Cup. They slipped up at the end against a very powerful South African side, but you knew full well that they knew exactly what they were doing and where they were going. They need to get back to that. Um, you know, Eddie is clearly a very, very intelligent coach and someone who's done it at the highest level. Um, can he drive that again? Uh, I've no doubt he can. Are there some very talented players around the Premiership who are English qualified? Yes. You know, I, I think they can put themselves in a very strong position. I think you know they're going to have to because winning a World Cup in France against the resurgent France and, you know, let's be honest, New Zealand aren't going to be a million miles away again, whether they're going through some transition or not. Um, you know, Australia may be getting some of their house in order. There's a little bit more to do. Um, and, you know, the likes of the islands and the Wales are, are, are going to push through there as well. So um, the review, uh, I'm not sure how much of a review there really was. Um, that's to be seen, but um it is what it is, and Eddie's moving on, and so it's a case of getting behind him, and hopefully he'll um, just add, add a little bit of freshness in there. John, you can have the last word. What's your take on it? Uh, two th two things on either side, really. I mean, firstly, from a you know, if you look at Eddie's CV, you could actually say there's a tradition of him being there for a little while, but not for very long, and. Uh, he has not stayed in the same job for a long, long time before. So this is a challenge for him, whatever the reasons have been for that. What I would also, however, say is, and, it, and Dips has just said, is you look at the fact that they reached the final in 2019, that's not very long ago. And actually, when you turn your mind back halfway through this, the cycle, 
people were asking questions about where England were. And Eddie has got confidence to be able to rebuild in the way that he wants to rebuild. And he deserves the right. I think it's a bad world if you're actually going to say 18 months on from that situation, as long as there's nothing really bad, but we'll come to that in a minute, possibly. Then um, I think it's a really, you know, it's a really, um, it's a really negative world of, you know, throw him out, next one in type scenario. I think he's earned the right to have the go. And I think it's in the right hands if he's energised. Now, two things trouble me with England. Um, firstly, what I alluded to and what Tips has just talked about again, how they're trying to play, because I don't understand. Um, I don't understand. I don't understand how you go from one second. I, I, I know you want to play in different ways to different circumstances and situations, but to suddenly the handbrake using Dips's line coming off because France decide they're going to kick the ball in play and keep it in play and play, and England put on a performance even arguably with not necessarily the best players to do that, which tells you that they're pretty comfortable doing that because they've got the ability to do it. So I'm intrigued how that's going to go. But the second one I think is more important, and I didn't see this alluded to particularly. I've got an issue with the discipline, which was touched on, but I think it links into the leadership. So I'm going to leave you with this. A few weeks ago, I saw an article that Maro Atoji was interviewed by BBC and the article was actually talking about defending, speaking about Owen and whether Owen was the right person to captain England. Within that article, the questioner asked Marrow who captained England when Owen went off in the 56th minute, I think it was, in Ireland. The answer came back, I don't know. There was a lot of conversation at the time, or words to the effect, there was a lot of conversation at the time, but I'm not absolutely sure if I'm honest. And that's, and that's frankly where it looks like in terms of who's controlling what's going on from a discipline perspective yeah. and from how they're playing on field. And that troubles me deeply and they need to get a grip on it pretty quick. Totally agree with those words there. Thank you very much, Nathan. Uh, John, pleasure as always. Tony, likewise also. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Big Kickoff a Rugby podcast. We will be back again very shortly from myself, Peter Moore and all the guys here. Have a wonderful evening. Take care. Look after yourselves.